Hello and welcome to the Booktopia podcast. I'm Olivia, I'm here with Joel and we are sitting across from David Laser, who is the author of Women, Men and the Whole Damn Thing. Welcome. Thank you, Olivia. Uh, so this book is kind of a man's, not answer, but a man's attempt to grapple with the aftermath of the Me Too movement. Um, did you want to tell us a little bit more about it? Sure. I mean, it started as a, a Good Weekend article in the Sydney Morning Herald and Melbourne Age. And the question right from the beginning was, should a man actually get involved in this? Should a man write about this? And I discussed that with the editor and decided that um, this was a really important moment in history. Uh, I've been a journalist for 40 years. I've covered wars and uprisings and um, bombings, big stories over, all over the world. And this is the biggest social movement of my lifetime. Um, well, arguably with the civil rights movement of the 60s. So this is a huge moment in time and I wanted to understand it. And I wanted to understand because let's get some perspective here. There's 1.2 million Australian women who will be abused or raped or assaulted uh, from the time they're 15 years of age. There's 1.2 billion women on the planet who will be sexually assaulted or raped. So this is a global pandemic. And this is men committing often unspeakable acts of violence against women. So I wanted to understand what it is that creates this violence. And of course, not only against women, uh, it's violence against men, it's violence, period. But what is it that um, turns boys who were once sweet, tender, delicious young things into men who could do this to someone they purport to love? Um, and to children and to themselves. And so it was an, it's an attempt to sort of wrap my arms around this enormously fraught and complex issue. Okay. Yes, it's a, it's a really fascinating read and I think it will be difficult. I'm sure you're, you've already experienced some of the pushback that you're likely to get uh, even more so once the book is, is out in the world, from women who are worried that you are taking up airspace that w women should perhaps be taking up in this issue. I was wondering if you wanted to speak to that a bit. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I understand that women don't want to hear from a man. They're sick to death of men telling them how to feel and think telling them what to feel and think. But I'm not telling women what to feel and think. I'm listening. I'm playing catch up to things that I thought I, I knew, but to things that I realized I didn't know. The extent of the violence against women over the centuries, where it came from, in the scriptures, in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, the Greek philosophers, I mean, some of the towering figures of history, their views of women have 
actually insinuated themselves in the water supply and we've drunk it in over centuries. And to try and understand the, the, the root causes of misogyny and how patriarchy asserts itself. So I'm not telling women what to think. I'm, I'm a man who's listening to the distress signals of women and I'm saying to men, principally, you need to read this book. I would like you to read this book because you might learn something mm. about how it is the definitions of masculinity have harmed us and harmed us in such ways that we in turn cause harm to those we love. So would you say that um, this is a book primarily for other men, not even necessarily men who are kind of vitriolic in their like, discomfort with and hatred towards women, but maybe towards men who are maybe a little bit uncomfortable with you know, the rising conversations that are happening around the Me Too movement, like men who perhaps who are thinking, oh, that date I went on last week, was I perhaps a little too pushy? I don't know because, you know, the Me Too movement's kind of made everything very murky. Is Would you say that your book is trying to get those kind of men on board and understanding how to navigate the situation? Look, in an ideal world, I'd love this book to be on the school curriculum because I think that boys from the age of 13, 14, 15, when they start to shut down and millions of parents will tell you how boys going through puberty start shutting down and uh, removing themselves from the conversations and not knowing how to articulate the conversation because they've not they've got they don't have a, they don't have access to the language of their emotions because from a very early age Many of them have been taught not to have those emotions, that those emotions were sissy, girlish, weak, don't be vulnerable, suck it up, all those messages that boys get, as opposed to the fact that no relationship that's worth anything um, is not without vulnerability. Uh, for any healthy relationship to flourish, there needs to be vulnerability. But boys don't get taught that. Boys are ashamed of that. Boys run from that. So even if you think yourself a good man, even if you think you would never hurt or harm a woman, maybe you've stood by and listened to misogynist talk from one of your mates. Maybe... When a woman speaks in a room, you've actually turned away or looked at your phone because you're only really interested in what the blokes are saying. Maybe it's because you are prepared to countenance women who are doing the same job and often a better job at the same job, being paid less. So you might call yourself a good man, but I think that uh, there is something for all men to learn from the research and the reflection that I have done for this book. And that's why we write. That's why writers write. Mm. They, they spend the time thinking about the things that need to be thought about to add something to the conversation. And I am just one man trying to advance an urgent conversation that we're all having in our own ways with our 
with our partners, with our friends, with our sisters, our brothers, our colleagues. I'm just trying to advance the conversation. I think it's a very worthy goal and I think it is actually that apathy that you're talking about where too many men are saying, oh, but I'm okay, I don't do that. But they, while they may not be actively like expressing misogyny, the fact that they're sitting there and saying, oh, it's not me, it's, it's not all men, it's not me, it's that other man in the corner, it's his problem. Perhaps it is that apathy that's leading so many men to not engage with this issue. And I think it's that that's actually makes you the perfect person to kind of talk about this aspect of it. It's apathy and it's also there is some kind of you don't know that you don't know. Mm. You know, it's, it's like that wonderful parable about the fish and there's an old fish swimming towards two young fish and the old fish says to the young fish, so what do you think of water? And mm. the young fish keeps swimming and one of the young fish turns to the other young fish and says, what's water? Mm. I mean, if you swim in in privilege, and the more your privilege is, the less you see it. And now, of course, a lot of men were gonna, will, will say to that, I'm not privileged, I've lost my job, I see women rising through the workforce and, and they're, they've, um, they're judges and they're broadcasters and they run countries and corporations. That's true, but in the, in the great arc of human history, Human history is actually the story of male domination of female. And that has its origins. Uh, and and um, there are very specific origins to that story. There was a time in history where God was considered a woman. God was a feminine. And that's a whole interesting period of history where, you know, before... Judaism and Christianity and Islam became the great sort of faiths of the Western or Middle Eastern, Western Judeo-Christian world. So I think there was a beginning to patriarchy. And if there was a beginning, there might be an end. And I think that's empowering for everybody because patriarchy, when we think about it, we think about it as, as... attitudes of men towards women but patriarchy hurts men too Mm. it hurts men who are different it hurts men who are weaker it hurts men who are gay it hurts men who don't fit into some kind of stereotype Um, so I look at all of that and I and I say to the, the good men in inverted commas you might learn something here too Come with me on this journey of reflection and ruthless self-interrogation and be open to it because it might actually make your relationship better. Absolutely, and it is ruthless. It's, I think, a confronting read even if you are aware of some of the facts that you... It's, it's the process of putting them one after the other, I think, that is, that is important to read it and understand that this never ends and started a very long time ago. Yeah. Um, I wonder where you come down on, I mean, some of what you've said probably points in the direction of an answer already, but I'm sure you're going to get arguments from the, uh, you know, the MRA movement and, and others about the sort of evolutionary psychology movement and the fact that men can't help themselves. 
uh, that, that men are somehow intrinsically different and therefore this violence is a part of them and they can't help it. What, what, what do you say to that argument? So you're basically saying, not you're saying, but you're I'm saying, not saying. No, 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 no. <laughs> I'm definitely saying, not saying. You're saying on behalf of those, <laughs> on behalf of those on, men. On behalf, behalf of those men. men who would say, and women who would women say. Women who say that too. Men are intrinsically more More violent, violent and therefore this, this is a state of nature. And any attempt to civilize it is is great, but you know it's essentially just urges that we can't help. Yeah, I, I would say to that that there are enough examples throughout history um, of societies where women were warriors, where women were lawmakers, where um, women and men had um, a um, wildly diverse sexual partnering where men didn't seek to control women's sexuality um, and that if that occurs in any society, then by its very nature, it's natural. Mm. If, if homosexuality exists in nature, it is of its very, by its very definition, natural. It's only the story we tell ourselves. And it's usually a religious informed story that tells us that it's unnatural. But if it happens in nature, it is natural. And what has happened in nature over centuries before the arrival of the patriarchal religions, and I can point to examples all through uh, Asia and the Middle East and Europe where um, men and women lived in harmony where men didn't seek to control women's sexuality um, and where women had sovereignty with their bodies and that the biological or evolutionary psychological argument is one side of the coin and the other side of the coin is the social relativist argument which is it depends it depends on the society it depends where you choose to focus your attention and i think men's rights activists um want to have it both ways they want to say that you know men suffer from violence more than women but when it comes to what happens in the home, they don't acknowledge the fact that it's women who are responding most of the time to violence. They are defending themselves. Um, women are four times more likely to end up in hospital, five times more likely to be murdered than a man in a domestic violence situation. And so men's rights activists often blame feminists the rise of female power for the problems of men. I, I just think they're sending their mail to the wrong address. <laughs> yeah, I definitely agree. And I think the crux of this issue is that with the whole conversation around male privilege is that nobody's saying that men don't suffer. It's just that they're not suffering because they're a man. They're, you know what I mean? Like yeah. it's going to be worse for women based on history and culture in the way that in which we're socialised. 
Would you agree? I would agree. I think that the history of the world has been the history of um, certainly since um, the advent of Judeo-Christian culture because you can, before 2500 BC, all the way back to 10,000, even 25,000 BC, um, as I said before, God was a woman. We worshipped the feminine and women were... The feminine was the goddess of the harvest, the goddess of language, of music, of knowledge, the goddess of war. I mean, Bridget in Ireland, Astarte in Canaan, Canaan, Inanar in Samaria. I mean, all over the world, the worship of the feminine. And then the Indo-Aryan invasion brought with it um, the idea of a masculine creator. And that was the beginning, I believe, of the desecration of the feminine in the collective consciousness. So, there I was running away with myself and I, <laughs> and I forgot your question. And it was a good question. Oh, Can you come back to that? I actually wanted to go on um, with you bringing up the issue of, um, you know, we're worshipping the feminine and then having the masculine, like the worship of the masculine as the divine entity coming into it and kind of dominating the feminine. Do you think that that's tied to, like, it just made me think of how that would be tied to desire and how that leads to what men desire they want to control. And that, like, that's just come to me and I think that's really interesting. And I'm not very far into this book, but I have kind of seen your chapter on... Um, desire and desire hatred. and hatred. Mm. And I think that's such a profound point in that, we want, like, we've wor- we come from worshipping the woman and when the woman doesn't want to desire us back, um, that lack of control over their agency is what causes the hatred in a way. Mm. I mean, how many examples do we, can we think of with ourselves or our friends or in the news. W- what we hear mm. anecdotally that, you know, if a woman says no, suddenly she, suddenly she goes from being uh, an object of desire to a bitch mm. or a slut or a hoe, or a skank. I mean, all the words that can be used, directed at women. And I think that's that, that goes back to the time of the Old Testament and the New Testament. I mean, you know, just think about what it says in the book of Genesis. It says that a man shall have control over his wife. His wife shall be there for the man. In Deuteronomy, if a woman is found not to be a virgin on her wedding day, she can be dragged to her father's house and stoned to death. This is the foundation stone of Western philosophical theological thinking. St. Augustine, one of the three great Christian figures of history, along with St. Paul and Jesus Christ, called women neither firm nor stable. Aristotle, arguably the greatest philosopher in the Greek pantheon, said that a woman is a woman by virtue of her natural defectiveness. She is naturally defective. He also said that a woman has less teeth than a man. I that line. <laughs> right? And, and, and Bertrand Russell said 2,000 years later, well, if he'd only let his wife open her mouth once in a while, he would have seen that that was a mistake. <laughs> so, you know... 
the woman, the Madonna or the whore, the pure or the tainted, uh, you know, the, the bitch or the object of desire, how quickly it turns because men seek to control women's sexuality and they have done so for centuries, whether it's genital mutilation in Africa, whether it is the Shador or the burqa or the niqab or the hijab through the Middle East and Africa, whether it is chastity belts, uh, whether it is the burning of witches through the Middle Ages. Some say millions of women who were herbalists and priestesses and poetesses or just a woman showing signs of sexual agency were burnt at the stake and tortured beforehand. So we have this conceit that we're kind of, we've kind of free-formed, we've just arrived, that history has nothing to do with how we think. And what I'm saying in this book is that history has a lot to do with how we think and where it collects itself in relationships. Why does a man think that he, should, he can drag his partner across the floor by her hair? Why do we think that in, in Queensland in 2016, 800 men were charged with strangling their partners or their ex-partners, right? One woman a week gets killed by a partner or an ex-partner. Where does this come from? So as a man, I believe that it's my, it's my obligation to explore this, and as a journalist, to explore the greatest violence on the planet today and to hopefully educate young men to grow into the kinds of healthy men that we all want to see, mm. for all our sakes. And... So we don't end on perhaps what is objectively a horrifying truth about our civilization. What, what hope do you see in the future for this on this issue? I'm so glad you asked that, Joel, because I, I wouldn't want to end it on that note either. <laughs> I see I see a lot of young men who are not intimidated by a powerful woman. Um, I see it in my daughter's generation with their boyfriends and partners. I see more and more men wanting to listen to women. I, saw, I see more and more men wanting to have meaningful relationships with other men. Uh, and I think that's a really, really healthy thing. Um, you know, there are the famous men, the, you know, in, in Britain and America who refuse now to appear on panels that are just all men. There are writers who, uh, children's writers, who are, who are writing their characters in ways that speak to these kinds of changes. There's a guy whose YouTube post, um, uh, Jason his name was, it went viral in Australia and he was speaking from somewhere in Victoria, central Victoria, and he just said in his, you know, in his kind of regional Australian way, he was calling out men to stop behaving like dickheads towards women. And to make and, and he said, and I'm gonna make sure my sons don't behave like this to women. I think there are examples of hope all over the world. There are men in Rwanda who are listening to the women 
in Rwanda. Rwanda's being ruled by women now. And there's men in Iceland who actually are kind of incredulous at the idea that feminism isn't, and, and equality isn't, isn't actually just as fundamental as the air you breathe. So I think for men who get it, it's an incredibly liberating thing because you can't be happy unless the women in your life are happy. And equally, they can't be happy unless the man in their life is happy. So this cuts both ways. And I think more and more people are coming to understand that. And that gives me, that gives me hope. Gives me hope too. Me too. Oh, <laughs> hope cubed. <laughs> we got there in the end. We, we solved did. it all. We did. <laughs> I think that's all we have time for today. I could talk about this all day. Me too. Um, so you better stop me before I do. Um, thank you so much for coming in, David. Pleasure. Um, it's been Thank a you. wonderful to speak to you and to hear your perspective on this issue. And you can order your copy of Women, Men and the Whole Damn Thing from booktopia.com.au or your local independent bookstore. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to the Booktopia podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to us on SoundCloud and iTunes. And if your eyeballs need a workout, check us out on YouTube at Booktopia TV. And don't forget, for all books featured on this episode and all episodes of the Booktopia podcast, head to Booktopia, Australia's local bookstore, at www.booktopia.com.au. Thanks for listening.